Gentlemen, ladies, welcome to another fantastic episode of your favorite podcast series. It is the Opinions of a G podcast, and it feels so good um, to be back doing this with you guys. It's your favorite podcast series, as you already know, and you know, I remain the host with the most. My name is Epic, and today's episode, we are talking about um, what I a conversation that I find very, very necessary and I happen to be very passionate about as a citizen of my country. And, you know, it's the elections and the elections are coming up pretty soon, the 2023 general elections. And, I mean, in my own little capacity to ensure that people are informed and people are very well aware of um, the occurrences and happenings around the electoral processes and should cast their vote or lean towards the forthcoming elections. I deem the fit to have guests who are very well um, grounded with the political happenings and this period and very well aware of political occurrences and people that can give us first-hand information to a fine extent of what is of what they sh- what should be expected of this electoral process and what we should look forward to. And in a bit, I'll be introducing my guests, definitely one that I'm confident will give us a very, very healthy conversation. So in a bit, we'll be right back. You know what to do. Sit back, relax, pour that Chardonnay in. Let's have a very, very healthy conversation about the 2023 general elections coming up in Nigeria. We'll be right back in a bit. You are listening to the Opinions of a G podcast with Epic. Gentlemen, ladies, welcome, welcome back. We'll go straight into the conversation. Um, I have with me a friend, uh, um, one of the smartest men I know, a, and also um, a member of the Presidential Campaign Council of um, the All Progressives Congress, whose candidate is Bola Metinimbu. In the building, in the studio with me, I have Martin Okoro-Zubi. How are you doing, my G? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for finding time to join us on here because, I mean, I understand how it's literally some weeks to the elections and I understand what the schedule is like and all that putting things together. But thank you. Thank you for finding time to do this with us, to keep the people informed about a lot of things. Today's conversation is going to be no holds bad. I am going to come for you and I just want you to have a healthy conversation and, you know, let's just talk things extensively because I'm privileged to have you on this podcast. So, Definitely, we are going to have a conversation that is going to definitely bring out your best, basically. So I'm sure I'm confident you are always ready. So yeah, um, straight to the business, Zubi. Um, Martin, elections are here, and we know what elections are like in Nigeria. We we've seen a lot of elections, maybe not too many, but yes, we have seen democratic elections in the country over. Um, so many years now and these 2023 elections are very very significant um, in so many ways 
the uh, incumbent is leaving. The, His Excellency President Mohamed Bari has served the years. It's time for him to go. And there are so many conversations about um, who's going to be the next, who's, who deserves to be the next, whose turn it is, who's, and all that, which, which we'll definitely get into. But let's start with um, the electoral body responsible for putting these elections together. INEC has time and again um, reassured the Nigerian citizens that irrespective of everything that is happening around the country, that the elections will hold on the 25th. To the best of your knowledge, how ready or how prepared do you think, with what we have seen on ground, do you think that the Independent National Electoral Commission is for this election? All right, thank you so much once again. Um, in my opinion, I feel that the electoral umpire, um, given uh, the little engagement we've had, they've had with stakeholders and also the activities in the last couple of weeks, uh, I do think that they are, you know, very prepared for uh, this election. And um, I'll say this, uh, while I'm not uh, uh, the spokesperson of INET, but I'm, I'm stating what I'm stating based on the facts on ground and what we've seen the body put out there. We've seen them do their data cleaning when issues were raised about fictitious name of voters register. Yeah. They had to, you know, downsize a whole lot of um, double registrations and other, uh, you know, other um, um, problems or other uh, issues uh, citizens raised about the voters register before they came out with the last um, publication of the voters register. We've also seen them conduct the mock accreditation across the country, which was successful. And uh, if you watch also the Ocean Tribunal, given the ruling of Ocean Tribunal, Ocean State, where uh, the Oyetola and the um, Adeleke case, you know, with the discrepancies they did have there concerning the beavers and, and the case of overvoting, uh, the electoral body has now resolved that uh, they they're not going to only just transmit the polling unit results uh, that parties called. They're also going to make sure that the machine also transmits, you know, number of accredited voters as you know, you know, in real time as yeah. uh, is occurring in the polling units. So with all of these indications, and uh, we do know, you know, given the the resolve or Given also the disposition of the FG, you know, talking about President Muhammad Buhari, you know, who has provided them with, uh, uh, by law, every necessary tool and logistics that is needed. So far, so good. Uh, in my opinion, I feel uh, they are ready. And uh, even in the face of, you know, some skepticisms that usually we do see in previous elections, we've seen yeah. a different twist now. We are even opposition parties are now much more confident that they have a, a you know a shot at them you know win the election, which expresses that they have seen signs that portrays or you know smacks uh, confidence in the electoral body. So with all of this, I can say that uh, uh, the body is actually ready to conduct the polls. Uh, that was a, I mean solid. That was solid because I agree with. Um, a lot you have said because if we anyone who has paid any attention to INEC would have seen all this would have come across some of these things you have mentioned. I think I stumbled on it 
the claim about INEC saying that they would also make available registered voters too, because that was after the ruling of the tribunal in Northern State. Yeah, although it is a ruling that, although it is a ruling that a lot of people did not get, did not make a lot of people happy. But I mean, that is a conversation for another day, which we will not dwell on. But a whole lot is happening in recent times in Nigeria. The country there is um, scarcity of the naira um i think uh, today there was interaction between the governor of the cbn and the INEC chairman and they still reassured uh, that the elections will hold 25th but we are nigerians we live in the country we experience things firsthand do you by any chance think that there will be cause to postpone because of the things we see every day do you think there'll be cause to postpone these elections come 25th of february yeah, like I like um okay. Uh, let me just put it this way. Um because I can't predict really predict what will happen tomorrow or predict the future. True. I cannot categorically say that uh, they will postpone the election. But uh, given events or if there is any very stringent issue that may warrant, you know, some extension, which is usually like we've seen in the past, maybe by one week or two. Yeah, the electoral body in her wisdom would uh, not waste time to do that. You know, uh, currently in the country, like you did mention about the 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 naira redesign and all the issues so, you know surrounding or hovering around it, uh, we've seen protests spring up in many parts of the country. You know, citizens are expressing outrage and dismay over the policy and uh, the unreadiness of uh, the Apex Bank you know, in additional this sort of policy or even the timing of the policy. So a lot of people, Nigerians are, you know, expressing their frustrations on the streets of the country. So some of these issues we've not handled because we keep getting assurances that the situation will be better, where the Naira notes, the new notes will be out there from the FG, from many quarters, they're giving assurances. So if, um, uh, improvements are seen, then uh, everybody will relax and stay calm to, you know, go to the polls. But if some of these things persist and probably even escalate to be worse than it is, then there may be some uh, very, very, con you know, even, yeah, there may be some very, very, you know, germane concerns that will be raised that may warrant uh, things to be put in order before a poll is conducted. So, these are things. So by and large, it's a 50-50 thing. And it is going to be as a result of, you know, the temperature or the mood of the nation, you know. So that is basically uh, how I would like to put that uh, answer to that question. Uh, um, very well. Very well. Very well said. Very well said, I must admit. Um, uh, yeah, very well said, I must admit. And I think this displeasure... And uh, we just hope with this displeasure, we hope it doesn't warrant into something. We hope it does not escalate so the elections come and go because, I mean, we know how important elections are in every democracy. And this is just one that we hope that the people see through. Um, let's let's get into more more partisan conversation, right? Um, because... I mean, it's it's a privilege to have you on here as a member of the All Progressives Congress um, Presidential Campaign Council, and uh, we are 
we want to delve a little bit into um, what the All Progressive Congress has put forward to Nigerians. And I will start by saying it's the it's the ruling party, right? And I mean, there's so there's a lot of people will see well, a lot of people have a lot to say about the ruling party and the performance over the past eight years. Before we get into that, let's talk about the readiness of your party for the elections first. How ready do you think your party is for the forthcoming elections? Lately in the news, we've seen a lot of conversations about some people being not happy with one or two things. The governor of Kaduna State having a lot to say about, in quotes, Kakus and the Anasso Rock. But now this conversation, do you think there is an internal dissatisfaction within your party? And yes, and how do you think that will affect the preparations of your party for the elections coming very soon? Yeah, thank you so much again, once again. Um, your question is clear, and I'll begin to answer it by you know, simply saying that uh, we are very prepared for the elections. The APC is very well prepared for this election, and we're going into this, this election with our best. Um, the concerns raised about people or a cackles in the villa you know trying to you know f you know press down some you know policies or some you know movements or moves or political um you know moves to undermine uh, the candidates these things are, are things that are very visible i for one have been you know privy to some of this information you know since last year so it didn't come to me as a surprise. And uh, if you also look at the events that happened in our primary election, you would notice that uh, whilst a lot of people uh, were against, um, or some people were against, uh, in, the, in the leadership, I'm talking about the leadership now, some uh, group of people were against the emergence of a surgical bullet in the world. They fought to turn now, if you can recall, there were a lot of um, propaganda messages at that time. People said he was going to join SDP. He has already kept SDP, maybe. And the president was going to anoint somebody to become uh, uh, the anointed candidate. You saw a lot of people, it, it was clear that people in some quarters, you know, tried to use this um, uh, Buhari said, Buhari said, to try to, you know, influence things or scuttle some arrangements. And, and when you go to Mr. President, I actually go and find out. And I find out that the man is, you know, totally not uh, aware. aware or is in or, be, or, or is not in tandem with uh, some of those arrangements. So these are the things we saw in the play out in the primaries. At the end of the day, elections were done. That was one of the keenly contested primaries. You know, candidates traveled uh, far and wide, conversing for votes, meeting delegates. At the end of the day, Ashwaji Bolamed Chinibu won that election with about 1,271 votes. By landslide. against the second position, who came around, I think, about 300 votes. So you could see the margin and then see how uh, the delegates decided. So here we are again. There are some elements who feel to feel that um, because um, the uh, primaries happened the way it happened, you may not have seen them be so happy uh, with the emergence of Ashwaji. So the I don't think such elements may um you know want to you know actually see him you know just um, coast to victory uh, like that without wanting to 
play some funny games. And again, it's important to note that uh, people, when we say elements in the villa, you also understand that this is not everybody who is in the villa that is APC. I there wanted to ask people. that question. Yes. There are some people who are pure technocrats working in the system. They may be civil servants. They may be, uh, yes, they may be pure technocrats, probably in the banking sector. Like example, we have the uh, governor of the CBA. You know, so some of these uh, characters may not necessarily be APC members, but probably because they have access to the corridors of power or can influence one or two things. They, and then they do have a bias, so they can actually play some joker or play some uh, games. So this is what it is all about. This is not just about uh, APC as a party not being united or knowing what to do. So, and immediately you saw these events, you saw uh, the governors of the APC come together uh, and had a lot of discussion. With In fact, today, uh, the, the, the president even met with uh, some governors, uh, the, go the chairman of governors forum, and then also the chairman of the Progressive Governors Forum. So they had a private meeting with the CBN governor, and also they had a meeting with, I think the chief of army staff were there, and the, uh, the chairman of the EFCC. So it was a closed-door meeting, and I, think, I don't think the details of that meeting has been disclosed uh, out there uh, in the public yet. So, so these are the things uh, pe people must um, understand. So the, the, the fact that there are a few um, things that are not, uh, you know, that do not all go well with some members of the APC, or that there is a certain policy that may be ill-timed that is affecting the generation of Nigerians. The, 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 the ruling party now becomes a, an unfortunate, um, you know, pe uh, a player because that uh, the, the, there are some policies that are being laid out by government and then probably it's not well thought out or it's ill-timed. You know, it will, now, it will now fall on the head of the 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 presidential aspirants or the presidential candidates of the APC. It does not necessarily mean that the candidate of the party is responsible for some of those things that are happening. So these are issues and bureaucracies that you see in government. So these things do happen in that way. But uh, it is the wisdom of whoever that is in power to see that uh, if you that to check some of these things and see that uh, your own party does not suffer any inconvenience, you know, in trying to converse or send her message out there to convince the electorates, you know, to vote them. So these are the issues. And any discerning mind uh, will understand that this is what is playing out. So because... I mean, not to, just, I don't want to take us away from this conversation because I have something to say and I don't want us to overdwell on this. But um, I see how you have um, address this situation and in some in some statements you have made it, there has been I will not I don't know I don't, please correct me if I'm wrong but there's been some um, an attempt to address some of these policies that the citizens now find very inconveniencing as policies that now have after effects on the presidential candidate of your party negatively but people say right with what the governor of Kaduna said some weeks ago about um, the carcass and all that, and you coming to say that this carcass might not necessarily be APC members. These policies that are um, causing Nigerians excruciating pain, or that, in your words, you said um, 
ill-timed. These ill-timed policies, like the redesign of the Naira, which we're currently, which we're currently witnessing, and it's not sitting well with the Nigerian people. There, I, I, I see an attempt to dissociate your your candidates, your party's candidates, from these occurrences when we know that your party is the ruling party. So I, is this all the statements of the governor of Kaduna State, the statement, the, the um, wife of the president also reiterating and by reposting that statement, are these intentional attempts to sell some certain, um, what, what I would call a feud between the Aso Rock and your party's candidate just to dissociate themselves from this um, suffering that Nigerians are experiencing? Because a lot of people will, will interpret it as that. Because I, I strongly, to some extent, with what you have described, there might not be any clear... Um, um, because the president clearly is reassuring the people that your candidate is the man for the job. Then the, the governor of Kaduna State is saying there are people in the Aso Rock where the president okay. is expected to be in charge that are facilitating that do not and that do not want your candidates to emerge. These things okay. to some extent okay. contradict okay, each me, other. So is this intentional? Okay, let me let me respond to what, what you've raised. Yeah, your concerns are germane. You know, first and foremost, uh, you must understand that uh, nobody is against the design of the, the redesign of Naira. It's a good policy. You understand? Yeah. The policy of the government to try to mop up to rem to make sure that uh, money that is outside the banking sector comes into the banking sector and people do not uh, stash funds, you know, such that when you remove them from being legal tender, they they value they you know they lose value and uh, it makes people to even bring out their money. And with the collaboration with anti grafted agencies, you can even clamp down on people into illicit things and. Uh, you know, you know, try to investigate them and find out the sources of such money. So it's a very nice policy, commended by all, you know, men and goodwill in the country. But the, but the issue here now is that the CBN apparently appears not to be very prepared for what they are doing right now. Because, one, the issues that, that are out there before Nigerians is that the new nodes are not even available. They're not a much in circulation. And then you're making the old notes, you know, cease to be a Lego tender, and you're placing a deadline for these things. So it is the, 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 the point of sale operators all over the country. So, you know, sometimes even buy money because of how, uh, how uh, difficult it is now to even assess cash in the country, you know, and they, they sell lots of these things at exorbitant prices. Uh, you know, higher, for them to also make gains. You know, you've seen, you've seen our commercial banks being involved in selling of our currency, and so many other things that are around it. Then the Apex Bank, which is the CBN, probably did not envisage some of these things that are happening now, and they are sticking to, you know, uh, you know the policy, and it is causing a frustrating pain on Nigerians. And we have elections few days a week, so if you look at the whole. Thing, the whole situation, it it, it it knocks on the head of the APC because one is the ruling government, and it is the government in power, and then you are coming up with this policy at this time that the election should be conducted when people are you know are seeking for votes, if not for anything. In fact, in, uh, in normally at times like this, this is the best time 
government will even introduce policies that will make people be happy and all that. If you, it, it, it beats common logic that governments will come up some, come up some of these things at this time when they still want to, you know, win elections. So that is to that is to also concretize the position that, like I told you, that there are there may be some people, you know, working overtime to see that uh, the the government uh, or the policy that they you know bring out at this time, you know, does not uh, actually reflect or will not actually be something that will be pleasurable to the people, and that will probably hamper the chances of a particular uh, candidate to be able to sweep us, you know, you know, uh, career support from people from the from the citizens. So it is not like it's not a situation of um, probably Buhari, Usim Buhari, campaigning for a candidate and also stating that this is the candidate that will take over. Buhari himself does understand this. He has, if you recall, in 1983, Buhari was the one. Buhari woke up uh, during the military rule and changed the currency. This was also this is the intent. The intent is very pure. The intent was. For you know, like I, I pointed out earlier, what I was saying was so you know to cutting down some of um, some of the you know things that, uh, the money or clamping down on money that are not in the banking sector for people to bring them to the banking sector and also to you know fight corruption in the system. So he understands this thing, and that is why he's in support of the currency redesign. But the thing is that the 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 policy will defeat its purpose if it's not well thought out. At a particular time, and even if the Apex Bank is not uh, regulating the commercial banks as it should, and actually putting every logistics and everything in place to make sure that Nigerians do not go through what they are going through, and that's where the argument lies. It's not that about uh, the, it's not about the policy being not being nice or good. The policy, the policy may have been sold to Mr. President as as, as someone who has, has been as someone who has done it before. He may he understands what. That kind of policy can do to the system. But the thing is, how is the implementing body or the body that is saddled with the responsibility to do this thing? What are the modules of prayer? What are the 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 logistics they put out there? You know, the compass they've set to monitor these commercial banks. How robust are they? And how is it delivery? How are they delivering? You know, we've watched this thing for several days. The first extension was done. The first uh, deadline was given. It was been extended. So how has there been any improvement? What are Nigerians saying? So these are the conversations that betray, you know, the whole good idea or good notion as to the currency. And that's where Nigerians, key Nigerians and governors and other people in within the ruling party are raising serious concerns. If you watch, it was us, it was our people or people of uh, the, the presidential candidate of the APC who first spoke out. A lot of people saw it as though maybe, probably maybe because he's the thing, uh, uh, because they feel that he he's banking on his votes on you know trying to be, you know be, being uh, someone who has the capacity to buy votes on election day, and everybody is uh, you know running with that narrative that that they are they want that is because it's affecting him not uh, you know not having access to cash to to uh, run uh, what's it called to do an election. But that's the very funny funny very funny dimension too. Because in fact I, I was I was in a meeting. Uh, with a certain governor not too long ago, uh, um, the the truth of the matter is that if it's about the cash to run this election, about how to motivate party members, that governor in question, like I say, I did say, has already started oiling his structure by even making a uh, uh, by not uh, giving his party members 
cash. You know, they've been, they've actually have an, you know, integrated automated system where they have a payroll of some of their party members and world executive and all those other people. The, the, the system they've integrated such that if there is any stipend they want to pass across for them to be able to mobilize or do meetings or have gatherings, they use those channels to do those things. So if it's about the executing elections, whether there is new money or no new money, the, the politicians almost always have a way or have ways of finding their way around getting across to their supporters, you know, how, however and whenever they want to do that. It is not necessarily about this uh, Naira redesign. And you also agree with me that most of these commercial banks, their CEOs, are in very good contact and, you know, with some of these politicians. Yes. A lot of them have, have actually, you know, uh, have, most of them have actually, you know, you know, uh, you know, you know, made uh, uh, moves to actually get cash, you know, for them to have to execute their elections. A lot of these things may have been even done in the last. If you recall, these policies, they, 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 I think they count down the started since last year. This is just making noise. The noise now is just so loud because we are, they are coming to the conclusion part of it. This is this thing has been open since last year. So yes, a lot of a lot of transactions have gone on. A lot of people have done a lot of things. So. It, it, it now beats, you know, it's now funny how the whole, uh, some people want to pin the narrative as though, because Asuajibola Metinibu was the one who first spoke out about it, that probably he's crying and he knows that he's, he's been defeated uh, by not having access to cash to run for the election, which is totally uh, a joke, if you ask me. So, so uh, with that, I, I just, I, I, I just want to say that uh, him speaking out for me, how I view it is because he actually cares about the the plight of uh, the common Nigerians out there who have expressed displeasure at this policy and how bad it's biting. You know, if you will follow the events, when this thing started, Atiku Abubakar was one of the people who also clamored for extension. And then all of a sudden, he made a U-turn again and said the policy is good. In fact, but the deadline should remain. And the people will be followed suit. So, you now, if you if you look at this scenario, you now understand that they do feel or they feel or they they think that maybe Asuajibola Metinibu is the only one who is shouting and crying because he feels that uh, maybe he does not have access to resources to execute election or to do the necessary logistics that is needed between now and the and the time of election. But that's 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 so funny because I do know even within. The PCC of PDP, APC, and the party. A lot of money is being moved. People are doing, are being mobilized with funds from different angles to do a lot of things. And campaigns are still going on in some quarters. <laughs> well said, well said. Um, I, I, I wanted to follow up on something you said, but I, I, I will catch up with that later because I want to delve straight into um, your candidate, the candidate of your party, um, Bola Metinimbu. Um, Senator Bonaventure Tinimbu, obviously one of the most popular um, candidates in these elections, former governor of Lagos State. A lot of people have a lot to say about his candidacy, good and bad, right? And a lot of people are there. There is a, there is a particular set of people that think, to a fine extent, he's good for the job. Some think he's unfit. Some think he was a good governor. But he's at this point in his life for factors that vary around 
um, age concerns and health, he might be on feet to be the person Nigeria needs. Others also think that he's in no way qualified to be the president of the Federation. Now, I know that you believe as a party stalwart in his capacity to be the president, in, in his capacity to be the president of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. But I want you to tell us, your candidate is um, Senator Bola Ahmed Sinimbu. In your own words, to the best of your knowledge, why do you think at this point in our democracy, as citizens of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, we should elect a man like Bola Ahmed Sinimbu? Uh, thank you so much for this beautiful question. And um, I'll be glad to answer it. Um, Bola Ahmed Sinibu, you know, I'll begin by the man's trajectory, you know. Um, if you look at how the, how the man, uh, you know, his role in the, you know, and or, the, or his role in the public sector, the role he played um, or the places he's been or places he's worked before, and if you look at uh, the records he does have there, and also look at when he came into public service, the role he did play, and when he became governor eventually, the role he did play, then be have post, post being a governor, the things that he did, I was able to achieve up until now. Now, uh, we have um, um, Ebola Tinebu, who graduated uh, with first-class honors in uh, accounting from... Chicago State University. After then, he worked with Deloitte and Tooch, uh, Hackens and Anderson, uh, before he got to Mobile. Uh, when Mobile came to Nigeria, he was one of the top executives of Mobile and became a treasurer in Mobile. In fact, he resigned in Mobile to join politics and ran for Senate and won that senatorial election. That was when I think he emerged that the senator with the highest number of votes that made him a senator across the whole country. And uh, immediately after that, the Republic was aborted, you know. You saw the whole 1993 June 12th struggle, the formation of Nadeku and funding of Nadeku. You know, these are the people who stood strong against the annulment of the election that brought in MK Abiola uh, by, uh, by the IBB administration. So, uh, he went on exile. His house was bombed. He sought asylum. And um, eventually, when democracy was settled for democracy, democracy came when Abdul Salam Abubakar considered and uh, they said they were going to have an election. You know? He came back and ran an election with AD and became the governor of Lagos State. You know, as a governor of Lagos State, he faced opposition from the central government of then Obasanjo. You know, a lot of policies he brought to bear were thrown uh, under the carpet and a lot of things that he wanted, reforms that he did want to do. In fact, he was fighting with the government at the time and on several occasions went to Supreme Court and even won the federal government in many cases. So, Bolatinebu is a governor of many firsts. There are a lot of things he did, the, a lot of reforms he did, the, as he did do as the governor of Lagos State, from judicial reforms to reforms in the civil service, the introduction of, as far back as 1999, 
introduction of the Oracle database system that helps without ghost workers and save money for Lagos State. You know, the, the RRS uh, that was very, became very effective where he set up a police trust fund, you know, collaboration with the FFG uh, police to actually mitigate um, crime in Lagos. Before his emergence, we used to know how bad uh, the state was uh, in terms of uh, security situation, where armed jobbers used to even write letters to people, informing them of when they will come and rob in their streets and all that. This so is the in RRS, Lagos state. The RRS uh, actually came to bear, and uh, a lot of those things uh, were you know, put to check. And um, if you look at also the ocean surge that he fought, you know, they recovered the the whole of um, the 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 bar beach. I also saw the attraction of the Lake Fruitage Zone. He did go to China to negotiate for those things. That was uh, a man who was thinking the creation of Lamata, uh, La the uh, Transport Authority Agency uh, that we've seen today in charge of the whole that drew the whole roadmap for the BRT buses and the uh, the interstate rail we do see today. So these are some of the uh, underlying things he did. He was the first governor in Nigeria to to do an I, uh, independent power project, IPP. That's the Aaron IPP that contributed to the national grid. You know? So amongst many other things, the education sector, the same thing, the Jigibola project, that was a lot of people testified of how effective it was in Lagos. And so these are many initiatives in education, in health, you know, housing, and other sectors of the economy where he did do a whole lot. In terms of revenue generation engineering, in fact, he was one of the marvelous governors who raised IGR of Lagos and, you know, brought it to where uh, it was, uh, even when the federal government, you know, you know, start, you know, starved them of funds, of local government funds, Lagos was able to sustain itself you know, because of what it was getting uh, uh, internally. And also, um, the, the uh, like I did say, okay, I've mentioned um, about the, the reforms that he did, judicial system, the judicial reforms he did do, you know, Lagos as far back uh, as 1999 to 2007 had the best criminal justice administration, even up until now. In fact, some of the things he did do, a lot of states have copied them now. A lot of uh, models that have been, some of them even reflected at the federal government level, or, you know, all started or, or were nascent or first seen in Lagos. And this is uh, because of the, uh, this, this uh, man, this is the idea and vision of this uh, man called Ashwad Bola And then if you talk about one of his greatest legacy, uh, which was um, entrenching sustainable, um, institutional reforms in Lagos, you know. By the time he was gone, he was able to pass on the baton to his uh, protege, who understood the vision and carried on with it. In fact, in one of the interviews of Asuaji, he always made mention that Fashola, Fashola is one of his greatest achievements or one of his greatest legacy. Because if he had done a whole lot or set a whole lot of uh, foundation for a lot of things, and did not have anybody within his sphere that could drive that same vision for it to continue to move at that pace, that uh, they wouldn't have, uh, those legacies would not have been sustained today. 
or may have, they may have you know died off by today so in terms of human capacity development you also see the man turn turn boys to to not just men but great men all over the country you see him and he does all these things without recourse to your religion without recourse to your ethnic nationality we've seen the both that he appointed into government we've seen people from all different uh, nas uh, ethnic nationalities both people from the north like the likes of Lai Muhammad, Raouf Ben Akabweze from the East, and so many others just like that. His, his cabinet at the time was a reflection of one Nigeria because the man did not, uh, did not uh, give um, uh, consideration to just people of his own ethnic nationality. And that is somebody who is forward-thinking and nationalistic in approach. So these are the things he did as far back as 1999. So it's not like it's probably he did those things or maybe it's pretense or whatever. This is who the man is. And that's how he understands it. He goes for the best. He goes, he hires smart people and his, his um, sessions when it comes to executive council meetings, they're always a fire, you know, was a fire brick conversation or fire brand conversations that go on. You know, he wants... You know, his style of governance is that he allows everybody to contribute and he's always bows to superior agreements when he sees one. And that's, that's the, these are the traits and characters of, um, of a true leader. And uh, with the pedestal that Little Lagos is moving, we've all seen it. Uh, that is what we want to see uh, translate in the national level. And that is why we actually back as And again, as this Masiwaju was the arch enemy of the PDP. The PDP held this country for 16 years. And Asiwaju Bola Ahmed Tinubu led one of the, you know, the revolutionary uh, moves that saw to the, you know, that government being toppled and the removal of the PDP from power. You know, we saw 16 years of uh, PDP and the 16 years that a lot of Nigerians, three years of where we saw us having plenty, but yet as a nation, we couldn't build a critical national infrastructure or national infrastructure that we are of importance to the country, <laughs> even when we had plenty. So um, the, the, mean, the I coming mean. of the APC, uh, which Asuaji is like the womb that conceived the APC and the fusion between him and President Muhammad Buhari that brought that party to bear is uh, something that was that's very historic you know, and a very, very iconic in the history of our country. And that happened in 2015. And President Muhammad Buhari has completed eight years. And this same man has emerged as the candidate of the party to continue from President, where President Muhammad Buhari. I think he's the best man for the job. And given the circumstances, and the role he played pre-democracy and post-democracy. And he's the best person to take over from uh, where President Muhammad Buhari will be stopping by May. To, I think 29th of May this year. Uh, you know, yes. And that's without with those with these few things that were actually well said. said. Well said. I, I think can, I can even betray some some of them for that if, if time permits. But I mean with all these things I've said, I think he's the best man to carry on with the, uh, the, the, with the affairs of the country at this time. He's the type of leader that we do need now. 
and I didn't talk about innovations. Uh, you know, the man is very uh, innovative. I mean, you have said a lot, uh, Martin, yeah. so and we need, I would not he, appreciate he, he interrupting you. Fresh, he will bring his own fresh ideas. Into yeah, 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 you have said a lot, and I do not appreciate interrupting you, but we do not have all the time in the world. But let's address, you have said a lot of positives. Let's address some negatives that have been attributed to your candidates because if we don't do that, then I will not think this is fair. Okay. The health status of your candidate has been time and again questioned for obvious reasons. How fit medically do you think your candidate is for this office? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, thank you so much for the question. Uh, while I'm not his personal physician and cannot come up with a medical report as to his health status, what I will, the, the basis of my judgment as to his physique or his uh, energy will be based on his activities. The things he has been involved in, how he's, he's carried himself over the time. Because if you do know that this primary, this election period cycle is a very, very long one, and um, we have seen the man from the primaries. He's he was the one who worked hard the most. He travels, you know, to the better part of the country, and after immediately after the primaries, he started visiting all the people he ran election with, you know, seeking for their support and since then the man has always been on the move as well as you know from sources very close to him has barely three to four hours of sleep every day <laughs> if you if you watch even in um, during election times you know the no the total number of visitors in body you know used to even outweigh the ones that you see in Asovila. so the man is a colossus at every point in time he's speaking to people interacting with people, having meetings, going from one conference to another, going having you know a lot of meetings uh, from one point to another. So it, some of the things that even younger people, I don't even see them you know, surviving some of the things that this man goes through. Personally, I, I, I you know, the man's work rates at that where primaries, which what people, a lot of people have said about him, I was surprised, I was so shocked that the at the energy of the man pray the pray primaries and after the primaries and he has carried on you know till now over and against even candidates that we think that are more healthier than uh, you know the man has to a very large extent kept to his campaign calendars hosted his rallies when he said he's gonna host it fixed his meeting i mean not all of them but yes and all of them i think to a very large extent stuck to it because there, there's been there was shiftings now. There have been yes. some postponements and all that. Yes, yes I'm, yeah. I'm talking about sticking to the the calendar to a large extent. You know, you know, over and against what we've seen in other parties. I'm I'm running comparisons here because we do have calendars of others and as I look at how we've been following it, then you could actually say who is actually you know doing better. So that's the basis of that statement. Okay. So, with that said, uh, we're also looking at the constitution. The constitution, I, I do not think Bolamet Nibu has flawed any constitutional provision to the president. You know, the the constitution never demanded for any uh, medical reports. I mean, the constitution so does not need to demand yeah, so, so, for so medical things, reports. Yeah, if those things or those conversations or those things are, are now left to the populace or the, sorry, the electorate. Who will now make the final decision and say this for social reason? I am voting as well as I've seen him 
he's frail, he's not working well. For this reason, I won't vote him. So what that would say, he would say, based on what I've seen and the things I've heard about this man, they said this man is this, this man is that. It's not this man I saw at the rally today or at so so place today. I saw he spoke to us fluently and the man spoke about his ideas and vision. For this reason, people are lying, I'm going to vote for this one. So at the end of the day, it is the results of the election that will now determine you know, how the majority of Nigerians are, are, are thinking. And this yes. is the most risky. It's the will of the majority that eventually you know, prevail. Or prevail. As yes. long so, as the elections are conducted fairly and squarely. Fair, fair, yes. um, with that said, um, I, I, I will take your word for that. I just want to run through some of these things I have on my plate. So we keep it going. Please, let's be as succinct and straightforward with our answers so we can just touch as many questions as possible, right? Um, in your introduction and when you started talking about your candidate, I remember you saying he was a first-class graduate of um, Chicago University in Chicago. Yeah. Yes. That was... But I, it's the best, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember you mentioning any level of education prior to that. And this question does exist. There are questions about his, I mean, I remember the, one of the spokesperson on your campaign saying that he did not write, he did not need to go to school to write the GCE because he wrote it from home. No, that Another question about his secondary school and, please, can you can you clarify that for us? As well, this... when he, he had his primary education and secondary education in Nigeria. However, he did leave for the U.S. and had the I think uh, one year or two years in their in their college in their what's it what's their high in the high school in the high school. Yes, I, I'm trying to get the name now. Uh, I think Richard. I've forgotten the name of that high school. Uh, okay, he had okay. one in. How about the ones in Nigeria? Yes, before before proceeding to Chicago State University. Okay, but the schools in Nigeria, you also do not have that information. The school in Nigeria? Yes, which he attended before he transcended to transition to the high school in the United States. St. John's, um, St. John's, I, think, I can't really get the name now. Oh, okay. But the school is located... The school is located in um, in Lagos, and uh, we do know people who also attended the same school as well. You know, the, the, the whole argument as to whether... Because that argument, it, uh, that argument first started for so long. The, the his, quali his academic qualifications, you saw it, I saw it. So it's not a... People have asked these questions. And I like the fact that you are doing justice to them. You are listening to the Opinions of a G podcast with Epic. Um, we've spoken a lengthy about um, your candidate. Let's talk about your party. It's the ruling party. And while we started this conversation, when we addressed the whole currency, um, um, currency crunch that we are currently experiencing as a nation and how things are difficult, I just want to table some very, very discomforting information that i have available to me um, that have happened or are happening currently under this administration because the end point of this my question is going to be is primarily on what basis is your party contesting a re-election because um we know 
that um, a lot has happened. A lot of the Nigerians are asking these questions on what basis is your party having the uh, uh, on what basis or what foundation do they feel they deserve to be reelected on? And you spoke, you said something earlier that the idea of um, um, the change in the notes, the change in the currency, is actually a good one. But you spoke about um, how commercial banks have been um, have not uh, in their own particular uh, uh, um, jurisdiction disseminated this cash properly from our holding it. So you spoke about how the implementation and the timing has gone wrong, but the idea being a good one. And a lot of people would say that execution has been a big problem with the policies of war in this administration. Some of the policies, some people would say, have been discomforting like closing up the border at some point and implementation and seeing these things through have a lot of people will question just like one that you referenced um, in this in the at the start of this conversation where we are talking about the, the cash country. on what basis yeah. as a party now i want you to take time out to just clearly because i am going to puncture your statements when i see the opportunity to it's not going to be a free ride, but I want us to be very swift with it and just extensively touch on it because we wrap up in a bit. Eh? So on what basis do you think does your party stand to desire um, um, re-election, considering that we have experienced inflation at the highest rate, we have experienced three recessions as a country. At this, as we speak, there is first scarcity. Um, the, we, we have information that the president has removed subsidy, but it hasn't been implemented yet. But Nigerians are still buying fuel at the rate that they have never purchased um, fuel before. Um, cash, the Naira is being hoarded. It's scarce. Among so many other things, we are they, they, they've been rated the poverty capital of the world at some point, and all this. Uh, there's no need to for me to spell all this out, but you have and you know what I'm talking about. So let's talk about your party and the basis on which they think they deserve re-election. Yes, thank you so much. Um, anyone who wants to clearly understand where we are must actually look at where we're coming from. As a country, um, I also want to tell Nigerians that this democracy that we've embraced uh, all over the world is the slowest in delivering good governance. You know, uh, monarchy can, uh, benevolent dictatorship can, they um, can develop, uh, can um, um, you know, deliver good governance. But the slowest, what I mean, slowest, the slowest in. Uh, in developing or in, in entrenching good governance is democracy. We must have that at the back of our minds. You know, uh, the facts of history are there. What it took America and Europe uh, several centuries to achieve, Singapore, uh, UAE, and some other countries in the Middle East achieved them in in twenty years. You know, China and some other places. The infrastructure they built. You know, the actually did those things and if you look at those nations that are running off speed they're not practicing democracy so that being said uh, we must accept that democracy has its wits uh, you know people have uh, judged it to be the one of the best system of government but it has a lot of uh, you know baggages with it you know before a policy is implemented you must go to rigorous debates you have the national assembly you have so and all of those bureaucrats in government. So these are the things that you know that that hamper development. They will not make progress to be fastidious or 
to be as swift as people may want or aspire it to be. So we have um, from 1999 till 2015, we, we had the PDP administration at the government at the center that had over about 30 states to her control. That's the subnationals that they were in power and uh, had control over or won those states you know, by the ballot. And uh, we saw uh, a time where we had oil, uh, oil, which is a major source of income, sold as much as over $100 uh, dollar per barrel at the time. So we had resources, uh, SS crude accounts, and so many other you know, accounts that we do have as a country, you know, with money in them and um, things being done. But again, if you look at these 16 years, uh, I come from the southeast and from Imo State. I couldn't point or place to you know, critical infrastructure that were built by uh, that administration, even all over the nation. You cannot place your hand on critical national infrastructure of importance that that administration was able to achieve, given the kind of resources that he had at the time. You know, I've, I come from Imo, like I said. NDDC was operating from a rented apartment for say, for over for over twenty to thirty years. We did not have the National Content Development Board. Did not have the National Secretariat. They, we didn't have the PIA. This is in Imo State, or in general. Okay. Are you? Is this in Imo State or generally? NDDC is nine Niger Delta State. I'm yes, about our region. Yes. So when I say NDDC, it's not just about Imo. Imo is part of NDDC. So, like I did say, the only road I know I witnessed that was commissioned or completed was the the Oweya Nature Road that was done by the Obasanjo Administration two six. So, apart from that, nothing else in the southeast uh, that we can say that was that is trade of the people or movement of the people that or better the economy of the people of the southeast. And then, if you look at our people back to back, they still vote this party into power. Uh, and there came a party in 2013 that formed the merger, you know, that became the, the party that took over from the government. And you can recall at that time, the, as at the time this administration took over, the, uh, the likes of uh, Okonjo Iwala, the likes of uh, Professor Chukuma Soludo, and the likes of Sanusi Lamido Sanusi, already at the time, they saw how the nation was going, predicted that there was looming economic downturn that Nigeria is going to plunge into a recession and it's going to be you know bite very hard on Nigeria irrespective of whoever wins the election that their country's resources has been so depleted and that things has gone bad that in fact that they they feel sorry for the next person who will take over from from um, from um, you know from, from 2015 and we saw a Muhammad Buhari who came in at the time he came in 27 states could not pay their state's work salaries you know, there was a lot of issues on ground, empty treasury, and a whole lot of other issues. So we began to pick up our pieces. The the man was able to rally funds, brought out the bailout funds, the Paris Club funding. You know, these are the some of the stimulants packages that the, the, the national government gave to its subnational, you know, to assuage the pains of the people at the time. Even at the time when the government was doing all these things. Some state governments could not even ensure accountability of some of those monies. And then we also run a country where our local government system is almost dead. Most majority of the states 
do not have a functional local government system. And uh, the local government is where it's the closest government to the people. And there is no hope. They inspire no hope. They breed hopelessness to the people. And one of the issues we do have. So Buhari, Buhari came and looked at the situation and decided that one of the greatest legacies going to live in this country is to lay a foundation, especially in the area of infrastructure. And today we've seen you know, serious um, investments made in infrastructure, construction of roads, construction of railway lines. You, know? you could tell before now, since 1999, how many Nigerians that were able to transport themselves from one place to another by the railway. The upgrade of our airports, you see a lot of airports being rehabilitated, the terminals and runways being put to good use. We've seen um, our, our marine um, infrastructure, you know, our waters. Today, Nigeria has one of the safest uh, waters around and uh, the lowest um, piracy, uh, or piracy activities uh, in Africa and in the world. So these achievements or these things cannot... Uh, have not have come to bear if we don't have somebody who had serious plans. And to think that uh, when compared to the resources these other people met, that this man can still point to things that he's done with money, while others cannot even show us. You know, that, tell, that goes to tell you the genuineness of the government. I, I will not rate the government to be 100% perfect, but given what she has done and the resources she has met, the government, in my own assessment, has been able to you know, make serious commitments in critical areas that, of course, will usher us into, you know, more progress. In the area of, in the area of agriculture, we, see, we saw serious investments being made, you know, into agri agriculture, uh, fertilizer plants, and uh, so many other uh, investments. You know, the Anchor Borrowers Program, Bank of Industry, a lot of aids given to farmers, you know, to actually aid production. So... The administration uh, has got it very right in many areas. And then in some other areas, there are a lot of bottlenecks that she's yet to upset. If you look at security, uh, before this government came in, we had about seven local governments in the northeast under the siege. We have terrorists hoisted their flags. Uh, today, those things have, are beginning to abate. The Boko Haram insurgents and ISWAP you know, has been thoroughly dealt with. If you look at the their reports of that Global Terrorism Index of 2022, the reports are very clear and shows uh, the level of uh, uh, a fatality. Yeah? When people want to talk about security, they, they, you know, they don't look at the numbers, they don't look at data. They just want to say, uh, they, they say things with their perception. And perception... Perception is not there. You can't use perception to measure progress. You, you, progress must be metric. You must use things that uh, uh, you know. You must use things that that was there before. How it is now. I look at the numbers and know if a, a progress is actually being made. You know, Nigeria has shifted down. You know, to be uh, one of the top three terrorized down to the sixth position now, and that couldn't have been done if somebody is not doing something. What it means is that somebody is actually doing something somewhere. That is why those positions have changed. We've seen new challenges emerge in security, and government is not losing sleep over it. We've seen we saw challenges of the uh, killer headsmen, and we saw challenges of bandits and other uprisings that came up that came in. You know, these things did not exist 
before the government. These are things that came up while the government was there. And government, you know, is tackling all of this headlong. Uh, we cannot, I cannot rate the government to be 100% perfect. I've not seen any perfect government anywhere in the world. But to a very large extent, the government has been able to address very biting issues. We've seen the second Niger Bridge promised the people of the Southeast and South South since 1981 during the time of Shagare. You know, a lot of people play politics with it, but we've seen those things come on board now and they are actually there. And, you know, Nigerians. The Lake Deep uh, seaports and uh, the many federal roads for Legacy by the expressway and so many other projects. I do, I do challenge people from 1999 to 2015, if they can point to stretch of just a 100 kilometer road started completed, initiated, started completed by the PDP, that they should show me that I've gone <laughs> the road that I've not seen. Until today, nobody has been able to, you know, beat that bet. I, I mean, I mean, somebody like, might take like it up with you from, but now that you've heard I'll this like, from I'll the like also, hey, I would like to also, I would like to also put it out there that this government has done over, uh, over uh, um, 7,000 uh, kilometers of road projects across the whole country. So, if you if you look at these things and know that these investments are not just for immediate benefits, then you understand that this government has done a whole lot. If you look at the social investment programs, the government has rolled out too. Uh, never has it been seen ever in the history of the country, such a so, uh, uh, social investment program that had direct impact on the people. Where people get to get credited directly to their bank accounts as sort as sort of symbols package. You know, immediately after the COVID nineteen, we saw relief funds. We also saw the Empower program and so many other uh, programs like that, similar programs that were all just targeted to, you know, lifting people uh, out of, uh, you, know, you know, severe and excruciating poverty. So that, with that, I think uh, I know that Nigerians will stick with our party. And this is the confidence we do have that the majority of Nigerians will make the decision by February 25th. And that decision will be in our favor. Very, very well said. Very well said. I just want to, um, I mean, very well said. We cannot deny that there has been some positives. We, we live in the country. We've seen a lot. Um, the second Niger Bridge, amongst a lot that a lot of things that you have mentioned. But let's let's let, let me just, and I want to run through a couple things real quick, right? So please, I want us to pay attention. We are looking at your party holistically. You have made accusations against the People's Democratic Party not being able to um, uh, um, live up, perform with respect to the resources that they have. And we will not deny that a lot of a lot of the members or current members of your party today were once PDP members, right? Yeah. Active PDP members that have held gubernatorial positions and across boards. But we will not dwell on that. Let us talk about some experiences that we witnessed and that people say would hinder your party's chances. First, it's the Muslim-Muslim ticket of your party. We know that Nigeria is a very, very, very um, um, polarized and balanced nation when it comes to religion. There are two um, what I would call prominent religions in the country, Christian and Muslim. Your party has filled it. And I like the fact that you mentioned when you were talking about your candidate, um, when we when he made when we made reference to the fact that your candidate nominated the incumbent vice president, and you said yeah. that he was even predicted to be. And one of the predicted so to be was president trying, in 2015. Trying. Yes, 
Yes, and one of the reasons that people would say he did not emerge then was because he was also a Muslim, like the president. But fast forward eight years later, he's the he's the presidential candidate, and he has fielded a northern Muslim candidate. It's a Muslim Muslim ticket on your party. A lot of people find no, this very discomforting. Take Please take note of that. There's a lot of things, so I just want us no, to really go. You want to you want to package all the questions together. Yes, in the very just like let's do three, I don't have let's do three questions. Let's do three questions. No, let's do three questions. It's not all of I them can't together. Package all of them. No, we can't. We won't package like, all of them together. But I just want us to do like three, so we move real quick, please. So let's one is the Muslim Muslim ticket, right? Mm -hmm. Two, I want to talk about the abuse of power by people in authority in the office. Now make reference to what we saw happened and what we have seen happened across. There was the NSAS movement and what happened at um, the Lekki yeah. Tollgate. Yeah. And what happened at the Lekki Tollgate. Yeah. Across that, we have seen abuse of power in the judiciary and even directly to Asso Rock because we saw um, the wife of the president um, pick up a young man somewhere in school who made a tweet against her, which we consider insulting, but which she considered insulting. And we saw that this guy was rounded up by the DSS and all that. And these things, a lot of people will consider them as abuse of office. We saw what happened at Legito Gate, the drama, the back and forth, the mismanagement of the entire ENSA saga. A lot of people find these grievances very um, 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 nauseating. That, and, and we'll talk about inflation and covid the relief materials that were hoarded during COVID, that barbarism was witnessed across all fields. In fact, we saw what happened during COVID. I don't want to dwell on that. So these three, let's talk about the Muslim Muslim ticket. Yes, the Muslim Muslim ticket, the brazen abuse of power. Brazen abuse of power, I'm talking about the judiciary and armed for the judiciary and armed forces directly straight to Asso Rock. We yeah. saw how um, the former CGN on again. We saw what happened to him. There was back and forth. He was he was literally bamboozled out of office as the CGN, and a lot of people find, found that discomforting. So let's talk about Muslim Muslim ticket and abuse of power. Yeah, thank you so much uh, once again. Um, you know, I would like to uh, in answering the question of Muslim Muslim ticket, I would like to also add that uh, you know the what you said about uh, the religions in the country. You know, being balanced between Muslim and Muslim and uh, Christians, uh, I want to say it's not true. Uh, I, have, I, I didn't say balanced. Like, I said like two most prominent. Okay, if I said balanced, yes. If I said yes, balanced, then yeah, I probably made a mistake. But two most prominent, yes. Yeah, yeah, they are more the most prominent, yes. But I also want to add that uh, they are not the only two religions we have in the country. Uh, we have other religions. We have a traditional African religion people who who do not believe in. Uh, Going to church or being mosque or going to the mosque, so those people does exist. We have atheists amongst us. We have people who don't even believe. So, in twenty twenty three, what we are seeing is a situation whereby a a party has a has a made a decision, and the decision being very strategic, and strategic in the sense that the the man we are talking who is in question is from a minority. Minority, this uh, is a minority. Uh, uh, was religion in the south, in southern Nigeria. Muslim is a minority religion, and then he's going to the north to pick a candidate. Iranian mate is going to run a national election, with. and the 
you, and then people want uh, us to be cowed by religion to actually pick uh, who we are going to use as a running mate. You know, people should understand that religion is religion, politics is politics. You know, religion will take you to heaven. We are interested in politics. Politics will take us to the villa. The the reason the uh, uh, Kashim Chachima, uh, Senator Kashim Chachima was chosen was purely not based on the fact that uh, he's just a Muslim, but on the fact that the man has uh, the necessary political currency needed for us to uh, you know sway through or win an election. So it, 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 people must understand that politics is what you do to get into office to now deliver governance. Governance is different from, you know, the game that you do play to get into office. So if one must get into office, you must go through the rigorous process of playing through the ranks, playing the politics and getting into power. Then you focus on governance. And then you look at the character of who we are talking about. Are, are Christians supposed to be afraid of anything in a Nasuwaju Chetima presidency? What is their fear? These are the things you have to explain. What are, they, what are these people's uh, antecedents when it comes to this religion that is being mentioned? Are they the people that oppress this type of this religion? Are they religious tolerant people? Are they uh, uh, people that you know, want to Islamize the country? These are the conversations you must people must you know look at for them to know that you know whether what is being peddled to them as though Muslim Muslim tickets is very is what people are being pushing out the ordinary people are pushing out, whether they are true or factual or whatever. You know, I saw somebody who is married to a pastor, you know, in Redeemed. That's Living Faith Church. I think that's the name of the church. No, I don't think that's the same church. Redeemed is the church, and so Living Faith is definitely another yeah, sorry, church. Uh, but yes. Yeah, yeah, ROCCG, that's what I wanted to say. Yes, yes. Yeah, ROCCG, yes. So this is somebody who has lived with this woman for over 30 years. And then when the Bible and the Quran at their bedside is kept together, he doesn't see the Bible and the Quran fighting. They have been together for many years, and he has not for one day tried to impose his religion on his own wife. If you know what the marriage institution is, understand what it is, you should understand that the man and the woman is one. And then when a man is practicing a different religion, and his wife is practicing a different religion, and does not enter, in any way interfere in their relationship and their marriage, that goes to tell you the kind of character, the type of person he is. He's a very religious, tolerant person. I does not feel that religion should be should stand high and over the other necessary ingredients that are needed in leadership. Talking about the competence, the capacity of individuals to deliver. And we can say the same thing about Senator Kashim Shetima. Kashim Shetima is one governor in the south, in the in Borono State who supported Christians, built churches. You know, when we had the book, when the Boko Haram picked the Boko Haram situation picked in Borono. He's a governor who showed serious sympathy and empathy to the Christian community. In fact, the records are there. If you go out there, you see the statements issued by the Christian Association of Nigeria about Shetima's leadership and how he embraced Christian community in Bruno. This goes to dispel most of the fears and all the people things people are being peddled. So the, 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 the choice of Shetima was very strategic, and it was, it was because of his capacity, his competence, the political currency that brings to the table. Because it's an election, we want to win elections. And it is only when you win election that you'll be able to deliver governance. It's when you now get into office, you'll be able to carry everybody along, know what the Christians are saying, know what the Muslims are saying, and be able to solve their issues. The, the religion of the, of the man in office, that is not, I'm not interested in his religion. I'm interested in his ideals, his personal uh, uh, you know, 
personal values about about how to you know tackle problems his programs his policy what is he saying these are the things that make the whole difference and not the the, the religion religion is to take you to heaven you know we are not contesting to go to heaven we are contesting an election to go into office we are not going to heaven we are going to we are running an election to be in office where we can make decisions for the greater good of the people and not to this so if we are going to go by religion okay when when is it going to be the turn of the the people who serve Ahmadiyya to lead the country are we not marginalizing them that the is not that's the... practicing hinduism in nigeria are you not are you giving them a say when are you going to give them a say if we're going to go by that route so we should this election is going to put a stop i think this victory is going to make people understand that some of the things that do matter to us as do religion and ethno, so you know, you know, ethno-religious sentiments are are going to be put to rest, and that, and I'll be very happy about it because I want a society where, regardless of my religion or my faith, my ethnicity, I'll be able to get something from the country. That's the Nigeria we are looking for. For that's the type of Nigeria the kind of society we want to create. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. So, so this whole argument about where the religion, this it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't at all. It doesn't make sense to me. Fair, fair enough. We will move on. Yeah, so, so, so the next, the next is uh, uh, abuse of power, right? Yes, rule of law. Yes, I think um, the judiciary in Nigeria is one area um, that we've not, uh, since our nascent democracy, we've not really made progress. You know, there's a lot of uh, issues with our judiciary. You know, to deliver criminal justice, to do things right. You know. Uh, do things that, that that benefit the citizens where the common man actually has confidence in the judiciary is one area we have not really we've not really made progress in. In fact, when Asiwaju was uh, governor of Lagos, he was the first governor to set up what they call the Office of the Public Defender. So how that went in Lagos, a lot of states, over ten states today have copied this across the country, you know. Uh, and one of the things he's promising is judicial reforms that, that is clearly contained in our renewed hope manifesto. You know, and this once is one area that really matters to every Nigerian about the state of our judiciary and the things that happen there. However, the this current administration has not been able to make uh, reasonable progress in that regard uh, in trying to uh, make them actually be autonomous and uh, actually deliver justice to the people. So, uh, regarding the issue of talking about Aisha Buhari and the issue. Uh, he had with uh, some, uh, you know, uh, clearly, personally, I didn't really follow that story, so I do not know what the 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 merits of that matter was. But if if uh, a public officer feels that this, because it's a public office, uh, we can use it to, uh, uh, you know, to intimidate people, or to, uh, personally, I totally condemn that. I cannot align myself with such attitude or such character. Because I'm in office does not mean I should be able to uh, use my position to, you know, uh, threaten people or to abuse or to calm down people because I do know that they are not as highly placed as I do. And I totally condemn that, you know, regardless of the fact that I may not really, I don't really have um, the facts of that um, story. So, and we have to also not neglect the cooperation of our subnationals because the state governments have a role to play, you know, in this also because. Uh, the granting of um, autonomy to the judiciary in the states, where they're able to control their own resources, do their own things. These are the things that help them deliver ju deliver justice to the people. 
because you cannot uh, achieve all this alone without uh, if, uh, a submission that's getting it better. Remember, 95% of Nigerians live in the States. Uh, all of us are not residing in the States. And uh, the governors have enormous uh, powers you know, vested on them by the Constitution to take charge of some of these things that happen. So they have a very big role to play. And that is why it is important that Nigerians also understand that as much as we are advocating for uh, who will take over the top job of the country, the characters and the kind of people who also occupy as subnationals are quite as important as the office of Mr. President. I agree. I agree. I very much agree with you on that one. Um, it's important that we look at the election holistically and not beyond um, who occupies the seat of the president. We would wrap up with talking about... Um, no, there's one more one. One more question. Yes, which is the last one I want to just reiterate. Okay. Yes, so I want to bundle these things. Inflation at its peak, we've witnessed that. But because the last question initially was what I, I wanted to talk about... Um, the mismanagement of relief funds that happened during COVID. Yeah, so I just yeah, want to wrap. Yeah. Yes, so just want to wrap. I want. As a relief fund, yeah. Yes, yes, that's what I said. So I just want to wrap it all up. So inflation, we've seen that at its peak. Fuel is selling higher than it has ever sold. Um, that whole that whole yeah, yeah. mismanagement of relief funds, I will still attribute it to what I want to call um, um, poverty gross poverty that was being witnessed across the nation. Some international bodies have rated us the most poor country in the world. Which, which of the The poverty capital of the world. They've, they've plunged over, we've plunged over 100 million people into poverty. It is who all over. Which body rated that? The, the, which one? The body that said we have plunged at least 100 million people into poverty? No, no. The, the ones that rated us poverty capital of the, of the world. It's not true. That's not true. Okay, it's not true that we are the poverty yeah, capital, the the poverty world. capital of the world. Okay, but is it true that we have plunged over 100 million people into poverty? I, I do not, I don't have the... If you can point me to the body director, I can, maybe I can check that out after the podcast. Okay, why we are, why will I address that yeah, poverty? So, so I'll that. take on... Um... No, I just want you to do this. I want, you, I want to do everything. I'm, I'm not done, I'm not done. So while we talk about that, we'll also talk about... Um, how I, I, I mentioned fuel price, right? Yes, you talk okay. about inflation. That's the first thing. Yes, inflation, yeah. how much fuel is selling at, and lastly, um, dollar to naira exchange, our exchange rates. We've seen it skyrocket through the roof. In fact, your party's candidate made comments about it recently. I consider that funny, considering that he's also part of, um, um, he's also he's the he's a member of the ruling party, and him addressing that. They don't know how to do. They don't know how to think. I wonder who he was referring to. But let's not dwell on that. But we see that these are the problems. Okay. So let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah, talking about inflation, you know, um, the the comparisons that people make that I do find very funny. Uh, because uh, you know, when you have when you engage conversation with some people, uh, especially some opposition, they will tell you how much was a bag of rice, how much was tomato in this building. Jonathan, how much was this? How much was that? You know, they forget. They always want to make everybody believe that Nigeria started in 2015, and it's not correct. Nigeria, Nigeria became an independent country in 1960. Since 1960, we have been responsible for the fate of our people. I've had prices. There are times in this country where this fuel was bought for 50 kobo. There are times in this country where things were bought for. 
a bag of rice was bought as less as less as five thousand around that. So if we are going to have this conversation about uh, the whole inflation that's happened, we also want to people people want want to paint the picture that uh, the APC government you know has uh, uh, the worst of it. You know when if you calculate the percentage increase of some of these prices. From 1999 on 98 before PDP came into power, and then when they left office to, you know, now you see that the, the percentage increase that happened is even far outweighs what of what what it is currently as to where when the APC inherited such prices, and uh, in all of this, uh, people also tend to forget some economic factors. You know, people discuss about the economy, but. Uh, uh, they they always try to use their knowledge of microeconomics, the, you know, the home economics that we do at home, and use it to judge uh, national issues as to macroeconomics and international forces and international uh, things that happen within the economy. So, if if we're if we're having such discussions with people, I think people should try as much as possible to refrain from, you know, engaging in conversation they may not really have the full grasp 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 of. So. That being said, uh, the issue of, um, like, I, okay, I also wanted to add that there's something we call the time value of money. You know, uh, it's only natural over the world. Over till today, uh, the U.S. is experiencing one of the worst inflation ever in our history. The same thing happened in the U.K. If, if you're not aware, by December, uh, nurses in the U.K. You know, had the protest. And uh, a lot of other uh, labor organizations in the U.K. currently are protesting. I mean... We, 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 we've because seen COVID happen. We've seen COVID happen. I'm coming, I'm coming now. Okay. Coming. So, so Nigerians' inflation rate has we've seen that moving from a single digit to a double digit. And uh, if you run it apart, Nigeria does not exist in in isolation. Nigeria is a country inside the globe. And if you run it apart with some of the inflation things that, that has happened to so many other countries in the world, you see that our economy. Is not as bad as painted or touted by most Nigerians. So, the consistent GDP growth and some other things, some other key economic indicators, has clearly shown. Uh, you know, like you made mention of COVID. Now, Nigeria was one of the countries in the world who quickly came out of recession immediately after COVID. You know, we actually, you know, came out of recession faster than most economic uh, uh, indicators or most economic people, you know, predicted. So, if we don't have uh, a functional system, or we don't have governments that are making uh, critical investments and where they do matter. These things will not have happened. I'm talking about the, the exchange rates. Uh, we've seen uh, we've seen a lot of things happening within that market. A lot of conflicting prices. You know, we have the parallel markets, we have the official rates, and and so many other things. You know, there's a lot of uh, things that may not be correct or or may be wrong with our monetary and fiscal policies. And there are places that uh, the government uh, has not entirely gotten it correct. So these these things are many more, uh, you know, play to the fact that uh, the the exchange rate, you know, is actually the way it is today. So with that uh, with that being said, uh, like I told you, factoring time value of money, what you bought in 1960, you don't expect it to be the same in 2000, 2006 or 2009. Um, 2023, right? That's where we are now. Yes. Yeah, so even in 
even an access people do buy, especially in terms of land or something. You know, people get some assets and they know that these things appreciate. And then a land that you bought for fifty thousand in two thousand is not something you you want to even buy for uh, maybe two hundred thousand or five hundred thousand as I do. So these are some of the things people must factor in when you're having those discussions. So it's not uh, the discussion about economy. Martin, are we? Is this a comparison of assets and consumable goods like rice? In, no, I'm, just, I'm not drawing the comparison. I'm just telling you what time value of money is. Oh, okay. Yes, mm -hmm. I'm just that's that's what I'm saying. Time value of money. So, for example, if if uh, if a woman who was producing tomato last year was uh, had uh, was transporting his tomato because of transportation costs. Or maybe because of due to bad road or something, and and the 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 things that uh, determine some of the these perishables that we do are sometimes transportation costs and cost of production. These things are, play a role in those things. Now, while I will not also negate the fact that uh, sometimes because there are no regulatory uh, infrastructure in place, some people do you know exploit uh, fellow Nigerians and you know place things in exorbitant prices, and that is where government. Is expected to come in, and this government has done a little bit of that. But I, I still, personally, I'm on, I'm not satisfied with it, and I'm, I'm and that is part of why the reason um, I saw this land with Aswaji on that because he has in his promises and his manifesto he has promised that there's something that's going to come in place, which is the commodity boards. The commodity boards are going to come in place to make sure that there is a holistic arrangement as to you know, consumables and agricultural products, the pricing and how these things will be streamlined to actually make them much more reasonable in the market. And these are the things that give us hope. We've looked, having looked at some of the promises, the man is saying, you know, the, he, 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 makes, he makes you understand that this man who our current our current reality and has uh, made um, serious uh, policy statements to you know, actually correcting or offsetting some of those. Okay, okay. Um, fine one, Martin. And just to make it clear, right? Um, this is according to the FDC, the Financial Derivatives Company. It has declared that it, this is in 2021. Nigeria has maintained its position as the poverty capital of the world, with 93.9 million of Africa's most populous country currently living below the poverty line. I just had to state that because you said you were not sure or you do not see anywhere like that. Uh, FDC, the Financial Derivatives Company, right? If you also check Brookings Institution, they also have... Yes, Brookings Institution also meets... You can check it out. It's, it's all over the internet. There's also... Um, it's a quoting a World Bank data, right? This is according to the World Bank. There one day in the presentation at the monthly Lagos Business School, blah, 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 blah stated that 7 million Nigerians fell into extreme poverty just in 2020, right? According to Nigeria, with its 200 million-plus population, was, was first declared the world's poverty capital in 2018 in a report by the Brookings Institution, knocking off India from the position. So this is just, if you just do a little bit of Google search, this information is all over the internet. So it's not something that was cooked up. So, and there was answers. We saw what happened at Lekki Toolgate and across other different parts of Nigeria. A lot of Nigerians felt huge discomfort in the way that entire situation was managed and this happened under the nose of um, your party across different states. That's where we witnessed some of the most, I mean, 
breathing and sad situations that we experienced. I just just run through that real quick in the space of like one minute because we've been here for quite yeah, a while. Thank, thank you very much. Um, um, on the case of answers, I feel that for me it's not a it's not a case of abuse of power. Uh, for me, I think the government the government was so the government was so the government, the government handled the situation with the kids' glow. Government was so soft, and government was so I don't know I don't know what other words to use. Uh, that's my position on answers because um, you followed the events. People like me, I made sure I was always out there. Followed the activities that you know, uh, followed the, that protest and how everything you know, ended. You know, we saw an uprising from Delta states that um, went viral and you know sparked you know a lot of uh, uh, frustration from the people. People did express uh, the dismay with that uh, police unit and uh, in fact i also want to state that uh, okay I, I think maybe uh, at the cost of conclusion i'll state that so uh, those uh, videos emerged and the uh, people started to speak up and express their dismay over the activities of uh, SARS. we saw uh, people come out uh, a lot of people across the country started to protest you know, you know about the NSARS, about the SARS uh, units, and then um, demands were made. You know, the five for five demand uh, were made by uh, the protesters. You know, which are in Lagos, uh, which was more like uh, a place where uh, a lot of events happen. You know? Regardless of the fact that we saw it, especially this, most of the things that had to do with SARS were happening in the southern Nigeria, you know. That was where these police people actually displayed some sort of their, their uh, brutality and all that, which is very, very, very condemnable by me. So when the whole war started, we all supported, I, I personally supported the movement, I supported uh, the ending of that SARS unit and, uh, you know, tried to, the reform of the police, that was what we stood for, you know. My contents at that time were all there. They are still there to today. I did not uh, change anything. My position remains my position. It has not changed to date. So we saw the 5 for 5 demand. And government met with this 5 for 5 demand. And so we started to see the goalposts change, especially in Lagos, where people started demanding for several other things. They started demanding for uh, end, end uh, bad governance. Buhari must go. You know, they started shifting the goalposts. You know, so people started to see different sides of uh, the intent of the the protest. So as things went by, I think the protest lasted for about twelve days uh, or thereabouts in Lagos. I spoke about Licky, trying to bring in Licky into the conversation. Now, you know, it lasted for so long, and these people uh, blocked roads, major entrances, and uh, people's. People's right to movements were infringed on, you know. You know, one people one thing people must understand in this country is that we are guided, but we are not animals. In fact, there, there are rules and that the fact that rules exist, that's why we are able to act correctly. In fact, in a society where there are no rules, people will act anyhow and uh, they will not be able to face consequences for their actions. This is this is when people know that there are consequences for their actions, that's when they actually uh, behave right. So uh, citizens must understand some of these uh, very little civic 
or social studies or civic education. And when you see people who do not really understand some of these workers, they tend to act ignorantly and feel they are the ones doing the right thing. So when the demands were met, go post them to shift. And the government... Uh, Did you say the demands were met? Yeah, the, the SARS was disbanded, yeah? Before the, the shooting at the local. SARS was disbanded. The 5 for 5 was met. Yes, Samuelu took it to Mr. President, if you recall. Samuelu even joined the protests, if you recall. It was even amongst the people that joined the protests. And the demands were met. I can't really remember the five, whole 5 for 5 things, but the 5 for 5 was met. But the they were the protesters were unsatisfied. They were look, seeking for many other things. The goalposts started to shift. Every day they will come and block the road. And it is clear to state that that the yeah, your right to protest should not in any way infringe on the rights of other people to move. People have rights to movement. What are the fundamental human rights? Well, the ability to move you know, without being um, this thing intimidated or stopped. So people infringe on the the, the protesters infringe on the right of other negotiations. Who probably do not want to were part of the, or supported what they are doing, but they were hampering their own economic and business activities for the longest time, you know, blocking the place for so many days. And we saw these things happen. It, the protests continued to gen, degenerate. We started seeing incidences happening in other parts of the country. Police formations started to be burned down in other parts, not Lagos now, in other parts of the country. And so the government uh, was supposed to wield them. The government was supposed to act decisively. And I, that's where I expressed my dismay with government because government did not act on time. Government waited to uh, a lot of things went wrong before she could even show up. So that uh, evening, you know, uh, a coffee was declared for people to vacate the place. Uh, the citizens, the citizens uh, uh, young people who probably do not know what the coffee is, they do not understand the, the uh, legal implications of uh, not abiding to a curfew. And a curfew means that the the highest uh, security apparatus of the land will be on which is the military. So, um, uh, Matt, let me let me let, let let's let me hold you on that one. Um, you are saying that a curfew that was declared somewhere around ten a.m. The curfew was not declared around ten a.m. It was declared when. I am very certain it was not declared as very early in the morning. No. I don't remember correctly, but I am very sure that as at 9 a.m., coffee had not been declared. A coffee was declared at around, if I don't know, coffee was declared around 4 p.m. Yes. The yes, announcement, sir. I'm talking of the announcement, a coffee was declared in the morning that from 4 o'clock, please, yes. nobody should be here. Yes. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So that is the point I want to make. So we are saying that people that went about their businesses that day, Knowing fully well that there was not going to be a coffee, right? When they woke up in the morning, we you are saying that people hold on, start from hold on. Yes, it started yes. from four. True. Wait. Yes. So we are saying that people that visited the protest grounds from different parts of Lagos that morning, knowing fully well, then an announcement of a coffee was made somewhere around ten a.m. Yes. That is a coffee is going to be implemented from four p.m. that evening. Yes. So this is a you to you. This is a very fair. This is a fine time lapse for everybody that have gone out that day to be home before four between like 10 where the announcement was made and four it was shifted now after that four p.m another announcement was made by for six or seven 
let's but let's look at the timing of these announcements. You're making it sound like these things were made immediately. Immediately. If you if you if you are going to extract the timing of this of this the 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 lucky uh the lucky uh, toll gates is just like is a is a one spot place. It's like a one uh, what's it called? It's not like uh it's not like a conference hall or where people are. This is a this is a toll gate. You know, and the announcement was made for people to leave that area. We will just say that uh, they didn't say that people should uh, not uh, get to where they are going to before four or, or by four. That you shouldn't be. They they crowd a crowd the concentration of crowd that blocked a major toll gates is what we are discussing here. And the people who were who blocked this place, vehicles could not move. A lot of people could not access their homes because people blocked the place. Is what we are discussing here. We are not discussing uh, that uh, timing or maybe. They told them to uh, leave the place. That how could people get home by four or by five or by that? Uh, uh, you know, or that uh, you are talking about the concentration of people who blocked a particular point in Lagos, who were told to vacate and refused to vacate the place. So the the coffee was eventually shifted when complaints of um, timing was made, uh, and when by the time military came in to the place to disperse protests, it was already. Uh, clear on the part of government. Like I did say, government handled the kiss glove. Okay, let me let, let us run the situation apart with what happened in, uh, in the capital when, when uh, the election that brought in Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump and what happened, the protester. Under four hours of protest, a coffee was declared. Okay, so how can you how can you how can you how can you defend that? Hillary Clinton, who called the protest, protesters? Did you? Like, uh, Martin, 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 Martin. Domestic terror. Let us let us not make disingenuous arguments. The capital is what you mentioned. This is yeah. like let's not act like the capital yes, is this is these are not breeze. Yeah. These are it's, the, what, it's not the, it's not advanced democracy, it's not the Senate climb that we, we want to or we always quote. But the difference is obviously clear. If what you state a protest, you cannot compare what happened in Washington DC to what happened at Lekki Toget. I don't if understand. Why can't I compare it? Is it not the because advanced if you state democracy? a protest if you stage a protest advanced make... democracy? So what are you saying? Okay, let me tell let you, us are you reference, a... let us make references. Are you aware to that the... now in the UK that because of the many protests by civil society organizations and labor this thing, they have started enacting a law? Okay, let me tell you they're a law to to restrain citizens from protesting, to make it illegal for people to protest. No. Let us... That, wait. We are... We are, we are, no, we are, I'm, I'm bringing you up to speed. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, you know, you know this was going to be a conversation. If you want it, to is a, argue, it is a very you know healthy conversation. You know that you are, you are my co-debater, and we know you are... But you are, you are, you are trying to... You If you are a moderator and a host, you should be able to allow me which I have done. Without, uh, I have know, done that extensively. You're trying to put out your own uh, uh, opinions about the matter. No, no. I was Let, that I came here no. to answer questions. Hold on, hold on, Martin. Hold on. Hold I have on. been answering your questions. Yes, you have been, and I have been asking them, right? But let us let let let's not. My point is, let's not make disingenuous references, right? That is what I'm particular with. They were processes that happened if, in America. If, wait, if you wait. feel that, if you feel that what I'm saying is. I think the best thing for you to do is to accept it, you know, and then let it be out there. Let the people who will listen to be to be the judge. I mean, so, you cannot. You know, they cannot for you. We cannot speak people with information that are not complete. Now, wait, wait, let me let me just. Not everything you are supposed to be the one to direct. How I'm supposed to respond no, to. I am not directing your responses. 
I am saying this is what I'm saying. I'm just your responses have been perfect so far, and I've given you the opportunity to always express yourself. But this is what I'm saying. There were protests in America during when John Floyd when George Floyd died. You yeah. have intentionally, and these protests did not happen in Washington DC, the capital, where where yeah. lawmakers are supposed to reside. This protest. So if we ignore these ones and you address one that happened where lawmakers are, are supposed I'm, to reside, I'm the running, capital, do you know why I'm and, running Tapa? I'm running Tapa because you brought up the issue of duration, timing, and uh, the fact that you know you, 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 I brought. I also mentioned Hillary Clinton, you know, who looked at the two situations and under four hours of protests, you know, people he called them. He called them uh, domestic terrorists. And then in Nigeria, a protest was done. Demands were met. People resisted. People kept staying there. They shifted the goalposts, you know, blocked uh, people from moving about their economic activities. And then government acted as late as it acted. Like I told you when I started the conversation, I told you that our government was very, 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 very uh, you know, mild and you know, handled the people that make it with a very, so, you know, kids glue. But that's my position. It has not changed. That has been out there since since the since 2020 till today. I've not changed my position. I've not twisted my mouth about what I thought about what happened during the NSAS. For crying out loud, you saw what happened the next morning in Lagos. You saw what how Lagos was burned down. The BRT buses, our security infrastructure, you know, the police was overwhelmed. All over the country, police formations were burned down. And that was what betted on non-government in the East. You know, we saw separatist organizations and the kind of utterances they made at that time. Tension was high in the country. You know, public facilities were burnt down. There was no recourse to anything that had to do with the public. And that and that is a society that wants to move forward. You know, so when you look at this, some of these issues, we we try to we try to you know juxtapose them with what what the advanced people are advanced democracy, what are they doing? Or what in some situations, what actually happened? Nigerian government, Nigerian government was so lenient in my assessment, and that's my position. I've not changed it, and I will not change it. Solid, well said, very well said. Then we'll do, we'll wrap up with asking uh, this: um, the elections are here, and extensively you have made a lot of progress with how you have brought me to speed about a lot of things that have been happening that are happening in your party preparations and readiness. Um, they assume there's the opposition. The, I think the opposition against your party are quite a number. There's um, I, I had Atiku Abubakar. And um, Governor Ifan Yokoa of the People's Democratic Party. Um, there is um, His Excellency Mr. Peter Obi um, and Senator Dati Baba Ahmed of the Labour Party. There is Rabi Kwankwasu and Idahusa of the NNPP, amongst yeah. others. How yeah. do you, how do you weigh against? How do you think your party's strength? The, the answer to that question is very simple. How? Um, <laughs> Let me ask the question first. <laughs> how do you think? Because I, I I know you are very confident, but how do you think your party's strength weighs against its opposition, and what do you think your chances are in the forthcoming elections? It's, it's very simple, very very simple. Um, one thing you notice is that the the All Progressive Congress, uh, um, it's a two fifteen two nineteen. So of these characters that you do you mentioned, they are all together in one party. So when they were all together as one party, we defeated them. Now they have divided into three. You think we cannot defeat them? Now they have divided. I mean, some of these characters that I also mentioned, they are also members of your party in 2015. They were even significant members yes, that in, brought your in party into office. That Siku and Rebi Okwankwaso was part of the region. But I'm talking about 2019, the last election that was ushering in this current one we are doing. All of them were together. 
they all together they supported Atiku Abubakar. In fact, Obi was the running mate to Atiku. And we defeated them. So now that they have divided, is it now that you think that we cannot defeat them? So the, our party is very confident. They're going into the elections. I'm going to uh, tell Nigerians and speak to Nigeria, convince Nigerians because you know a lot of pools, the genuine pools I've seen about the election, there are a lot of undecided voters. And what we are doing, we're working very hard in this couple last couple of days to sway support, to create their support. I mean, I, I like the fact that you mentioned polls. Mm -hmm. I almost, that almost kicked my mind because we've seen a lot of polls and all that. Do you agree with yes. this? Eh? Do you I, agree I, with I some of about the, the polls? polls because a lot of, there are a lot of rubbish polls out there. A lot of jocular polls out there too. You know, you, you see a voters register of over 80 million Nigerians and then the sample size of people who are doing polls, 300, 200. You know, it runs... It runs far of the whole thing. If you understand the data science very well, or data analytics, you know that uh, uh, the size of your, the sample size is very critical to the kind of results you get. You also look at the methodology you're employing to x-ray or interview people or carry out the survey. And that's how you arrive at the conclusion in the pool. And also, the telephone, most of these pools that are telephone-based, uh, you know, it is only about 31% of the voters register in INEC that has the uh, telephone record. So already from day one, if you're doing a pool and it's 200% telephone based, that means you're working with just 31% of the entire voting population in the country. So these are the things that come to be. And some other pools too, they just select random people. People probably may not even have a permanent voters card. So... We've seen a lot of jocular uh, pools out there that are just totally nonsensical. And uh, at the end of the day, the elections will come and go. And we'll see. We'll see those who actually understand or did a uh, um, very critical uh, uh, you know, examination or people who were embarked on very credible pools. And we'll see the pools that will be you know, totally thrown into the trash can. So we're very confident as a party, as a people. And then uh, we do know that uh, Nigerians will make the right choice. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Um, Martin, let's 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 out of let's let's on a very lighter note. Let's and, and, that, out. and that choice is no less a person than I showed better than Martin. Yes, it's it's a good thing you made mention of that. Let's out of let's on a lighter note, right? Let's make our own poll. So I'm going to give you some num some numbers, right? Because I want you, I want your own prediction. So I want to give you some numbers that are associated with this election and some elections that we have seen in the past, right? So just please, just pay attention while I read out this figure. So we have, according to INEC, there are ninety-three million four hundred and sixty-nine thousand registered and thousand registered No, ninety-three million. Mm -hmm. Ninety-three million registered voters in the country. Yes, yes, yes. Registered voters in the country. Yes. Right in the 2019 elections, your party emerged victorious by um, President Buhari's emergence into office with over 15 million votes. If I'm not mistaken, please correct me. Yeah, 15 million, yeah. over 15 million votes. Yes, now with these numbers, I have two questions a random prediction, right? With this information you have at your disposal, a prediction of how many voters to expect on election day. For the presidential elections out of the 93 million registered we want your prediction on one how many voters you expect and two how many voters your party expects to win an election out of the number did you get that question yes i got the question okay yes please so let's hear your prediction yeah so so it's, it's very simple to answer the the truth is if you look at 2019 
Because look at section I said, then I left them. The, the vote-out turnout, I don't think it was up to 50%. Yes, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't at all. Yeah, it wasn't up to 50%. So, it, I would just, for benefit of that, I would just probably peg, giving us around 45 million people that would vote. You know, pegging it at 51, because there's been a lot of awareness, you know, people uh, tend to now be, you know, uh, interested or, you know, politically. They're not politically aware. So, I'll, I'll say plus or minus 50% turnout. 50% uh, turnout? Yeah, plus or minus. Yeah, okay. So, with that, you should be looking at around 40, 45 million. Yes, let's say 45 yeah. million. Yes, 40, 45 million. So, I feel the person that will win this election, anybody that gets up to 20 million has won this election. So you, And you feel your party can get up to 20 million? Anybody that gets 20 million votes has won this election. So, if we can get, uh, you know, looking at uh, the whole candidates that emerge, major parties, come out, you know, some people, you know, post-carrying as thought force and all those kind of things. So, if we look at, if we bring all these things together, um, any candidate that makes plus or minus 20 million votes will, will carry the day. So, that is, uh, that's my prediction. Thank you very much. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. This was indeed a very healthy and extensive conversation and we have done justice to it. I knew you would. Thank you so much. We look forward to the elections on the 25th. The goal is to ensure that a leader is elected that benefits the people of Nigeria and implements all that they have promised in their manifesto and so on. Thank you so much for doing this oh. with us, Martins. It's the Opinions of a G podcast. Um, Martin, before you go, let's just... People want to reach out to you. People want to get a conversation going. How can they connect with you? All right. Uh, uh, my, um, my, uh, you can reach me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Martin Okoro. M-A-R-T-I-N. Then Okoro is spelled A-O-K-O-R-O-W-U. So that's my name on, on um, Twitter. Also on Facebook, the same thing. And on Instagram, the same thing. So, I uh, also I can also reach out to me via my mail, okoro at gmail.com. That is it. Thank you. Solid, solid. And you can keep the conversation going at on Twitter. It is at OOAG underscore POD, OOAG underscore POG. On Instagram, it is OOAG underscore podcast. It's the opinions of a G podcast. We've enjoyed what we have done so far. Go out if you have your people, your permanent um, voters card and vote and vote for your choice. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, have a fine time till you hear our voice again. It's adios from our end.